Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. He might get us out of there. He might not. It doesn't matter. Because here's the bottom line. We won't worship your gods and we won't worship your statue. We will never compromise in our relationship with God. We're not going to do it. He has told us, he has made it clear to us, you will worship no other gods but me. And we are set on that. And we will not place our hope and our faith and our trust in anything other than him. Whether we live through it or whether we die, it doesn't matter. Our faith is in him. God is capable of incredible and astounding miracles. He'd proven it to his people over and over again throughout their history. He's sovereign over all people and events that happen in the world and can even accomplish his good purposes in the midst of some really bad things. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew God and trusted his sovereignty, and they determined to stay faithful because of who God is. Today, Pastor James will describe the bold and astounding faith of these three men that's really rare amongst believers. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Here's the rule. All you people, and it wasn't just the religious leader or the, the leaders and whatever, whether they formed a function in religious roles or not, but all the leaders, all you government officials, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were part of that group. Not just them, but everybody else, all you people that we, that we took from other nations that we brought into our country. Here's the deal. We're all going to circle around this statue, and when you hear the music, you're going to bow down, and you're going to worship this image. That's the rule. That's how it's going to go. Okay. Um, Just so we understand, the image was more than likely not that of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Because they didn't really deify their kings, not in Babylon, right? So he probably would have had it as like... uh, Nebo or one of their other gods, right? More than likely, it was an image of that. It doesn't matter. Basically, what they're saying is like, hey, you see that statue that's constructed probably of wood and covered with gold? Yeah, you're going you're gonna to worship that. You're going to worship that thing. I'm going to worship that? Yeah. The thing that has a mouth but can't speak? The thing that has ears but can't hear? The thing that has eyes but can't see? I'm going to worship that dumb, that 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 dumb thing, like literally by every sense of that definition of the word, that, I'm going to worship that? Yeah, you're going to. And if you don't, you're going to die. That's how it is. There's your choice. There's your freedom. And this isn't a very pluralistic society. This isn't a a society that worshiped many other gods and let you worship whatever gods basically you wanted to worship. But on this one, because Neb's having an ego trip, He wants everybody to worship this one thing. He wants everybody to worship this, bow down at this one thing. Now, every other day, you're fine to worship whatever you want to worship, worship wherever wherever you want to worship, however you want to worship. But for this one thing, you will do it our way. Interesting how this all plays out. Therefore, verse seven, 
As soon as all the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the people, peoples, nations, languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Complete compliance. Complete compliance. Not even a question that we know of. There, I mean, we know there's three who do, who do not comply. Only three. We don't know how many people were in the crowd, but I'm, I'm promising there, were, there were probably were a lot of people in the crowd. What we don't have access to was anybody saying like, should we be doing this? Is it okay? What about the other Jews that were there? Because there were more than just three Jews that were there. We get a hint from chapter one that they probably weren't asking any questions because they indulged themselves on the king's delicacy. You got full and total compromise happening within their relationship and their walk with God, so to speak. Complete compliance. They said, play, hit play on the CD player, and we all bowed down and worshiped. No questions asked. Just do what he says. Just do what he says, and it'll be done. Do what he says, and it'll be over, and nobody dies, and we can go on about our business. Yeah, but until when? The next time? See, we think that this could be a one-and-done scenario, but what if this got instituted into, hey, I kind of like the idea of this. Nebuchadnezzar, what we know about him is he's a prideful man. You don't build a 60-foot-tall statue covered in gold after you just had a dream about a golden head on a statue that got demolished by a rock unless you got some pride issues. So I would assume this is totally, this is not like, you know, this is just me thinking. They do this once, Nebuchadnezzar sees it, and nobody resists. I, I bet you anything they'd be doing it more times than just once. I bet this would become the new church practice, so to speak, in Babylon. Oh, they bowed down this one time. Let's see how many more times they'll bow down, because that's what they do. It's all about control. It's flexing your muscles and all that good stuff to make sure that you know that I'm in charge. So everybody hears this music, and I will just say, grammatically, within the, the list of those instruments, there were interjected within there some Greek terms for some of these instruments, which is kind of fascinating. Some people think like, well, there's no way that Daniel wrote this because of that. He, he was a very brilliant man. He's a very brilliant man. So we are in full... Aramaic text, because in chapter two, we switch from Hebrew to Aramaic. And then even in the midst of some of these instruments that get listed, they're like Greek terms that have been applied. So I think just, can, just absolutely shines a spotlight on the fact that Daniel was actually the author of this book. Absolutely was the author of this book. A guy who was well-versed and well-skilled in uh, the Babylonian culture and knew that language very well, could easily switch from Hebrew to Aramaic from chapter 2 to chapter 7, and then switch back to Hebrew from 8 on. He can do that because he's a smart dude. He knows. He knows both languages, fluent in both of them. Anyways, back to this story. Everything looks cool until, well, you know if there's thousands and there's just three people standing up, you're going to notice those guys, right? You're going to notice them. 
it, you're just going to stand out. It, I don't know if you remember the last time you went to a concert. I don't know if you've been to a concert. My last one was Sunday night. Took my son and some of his friends to see NF. Went out to the Cynthia Woods Pavilion, and there were thousands of people there. It was amazing. It was amazing. Here's what you would have noticed. Nobody, stand, nobody sits at an NF con. He's like a Christian. He's a Christian. He's a, he's a rapper. And all. He's a very talented kid. Um, kid. Uh, he's a guy. Grown man. Just had a baby. Um, nobody, nobody sits at those concerts. Everybody stands. But here's what you would notice. If everybody was sitting down the whole time and you had three people you know, up front jumping around, everybody's going to notice those three people right? I don't even care if they're not even at the front. If they're off to the side, you're going to notice like everybody's sitting, everybody's doing, acting proper or whatever, but except for these three rebels over here, you're just going to stand out. When you got people that are bowing down face first, prostate on the ground to show devotion towards an object, you're going to notice that three people are not doing it. And that's what happens. Uh, you got some cheaters in this worship session, right? And the cheaters are the Chaldeans, okay? Because I don't know if you grew up in Sunday school or not, but when they say it's time to close your eyes, bow your heads, you know, there's always those cheaters who are not doing that and they're looking around and all this stuff, and then they want to tattle on the other people who are not bowing their heads and all that good stuff, right? Here you go. These are the Chaldeans. Verse 8 says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They had it in for these three guys. They hated these three guys. Why? Well, because they're Chaldeans and are not getting promoted. But these Jews who are our prisoners of war are getting the promotions. We don't like those guys. So they maliciously accused the Jews. Verse 9, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. Whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. King Nebuchadnezzar, you have rebels in your audience. You have men who do not respect you and who do not honor your authority. We just thought you should know that. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, when we were bowing down and worshiping your golden, we just happened to look up and look around and we saw those three guys because technically they were watching them the whole time. We're going to bow down, and we're going to watch them and see what they do. And if they don't comply, then we're going going straight to the boss, and we're going to tattle on them. And that's what they did. They tattled. There's no uh, snitches get stitches in Babylon, I guess. Um, So they just got to go to the king, and they they ratted out the, the three Jews. King Nebuchadnezzar, quiet, patient, gentle man, says, you know what? Their truth is their truth. (laughs) No, not at all. Not at all. Here's his response. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods 
or worship the golden image that I have set up. He waits like, hold on, fellas. Wait, there's this rumor going around. Little birdie just told me that you guys don't worship our gods. They're like, duh. We, yeah, we never worshiped your gods and we won't worship your gods. You don't like my statue. They're like, no, it's hideous. We're not going to bow down to that thing. Here's Nebuchadnezzar. This is interesting. He gives them a second chance. He says, now if you're ready, verse 15, when you hear the sound, oh, here we go, the list of instruments again, the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I've made well and good, right? So he's like, I'm going to give you a second chance. He's going to stop the Babylonian high school band. He's like, hold on, press pause, fellas. Let's start it from the top. These guys obviously didn't hear the music. So we're going to give them another chance. We'll give you a second chance. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace, which happened to be just right there. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Interesting phrase that Nebuchadnezzar uh, utters there, basically. He should know, I don't know if he does technically or not, but he should know that Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are all connected and all worship the same God, who he just gave a huge shout out to, so to speak, in chapter two, when he's like, Daniel, there's no other God like your God. There's no other God like your God. He's amazing. He's incredible. And now, who knows, maybe it is 10 years later, and that has gone from his head. But he challenges these Jewish young men in their faith. And he, in doing so, he is challenging God. He's, we may see this as him challenging the boys. Really, he's challenging God Almighty. He says, who's going to rescue you from me? The golden statue, not just the head. I'm the whole deal. I'm the most powerful man on the planet right now. Who do you think? Which God do you serve? Which gods are you bowing down to and worshiping that you actually think can get you out of my hands? And in one sense, maybe just saying, I don't know what God you worship, but your God is nothing compared to me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered, verse 16. And they said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, oh, Neb. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Ah, I love that. Man, I love that. What a great and brilliant response. We don't have to answer you. I have nothing to say to you. That's like a, that's, that's a little bit crazy. Because, I mean, even just in that one sentence, that's enough to get them killed. That's enough. Especially from an egomaniac, right? Like Nebuchadnezzar. We don't have to tell you anything. I don't have to answer for this. I don't have to give you an answer. Um, I would also encourage believers today. The world has a problem with how you, who you worship and how you worship and what stands you take. You don't have to answer them at all. You don't. They come challenging you. Always be ready to give a defense for the faith that you believe in. Yes, absolutely. You should, you should always be ready to defend your faith. Absolutely. But there are times within your 
walk with the Lord and your experience here on this planet, you don't, you don't owe anybody an answer. Why won't, you, why won't you bow down? I don't have to answer you on why I don't want to. I don't have to. But I can tell you this, and that's what I love about this story, is that they, they could have left it there, and then that would, have been, that would have been it, so to speak. They would have been tossed in the fire immediately, but they go on. If this be so, our God, who we serve, now note that's a capital G, God, okay? That's the, they, they are rightly attributing who the, the God is that they worship there. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, this is a tremendous statement of faith. I mean, this is crazy. If not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They're like, hey, listen here, Nebuchadnezzar, just so you know, our God can deliver us. He can deliver us. And essentially what they're saying is our God will deliver us. Even if he doesn't deliver us from the fire, he has delivered us from you you maniac, <laughs> you crazy man. They're like, we trust God. We trust in him. And even more so than just him performing a miracle to save them, they're like, we trust in God's sovereignty. He may rescue us from the fire and he may not. We might die in that fire, but that's fine because we trust God. That's crazy. That's astounding faith. That's bold faith. That's faith that is rare. It's rare. I think you can find that, that type of faith more commonly on the mission field than in the churches of America. Because in the churches of America, not to beat up on the church of America, but maybe to challenge the church of America a little bit, you start taking away a little bit of our comforts and we're like, oh no, God, why? Why, why don't you love us? Shadrach, Meshach, and Benny are like, look, dude, throw us in the fire. He might get us out of there. He might not. It doesn't matter. Because here's the bottom line. We won't worship your gods. And we won't worship your statue. We will never compromise in our relationship with God. We're not going to do it. He has told us. He has made it clear to us. You will worship no other gods but me. And we are set on that. And we will not place our hope and our faith and our trust in anything other than him. Whether it, we live through it or whether we die, it doesn't matter. Our faith is in him, period. Amazing, amazing. Nebuchadnezzar saw their logic and their reasoning, and they came to an agreement. No, they, no he didn't at all. Uh, verse 19, it says, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. His face distorted. He was so mad. He was so mad at what they just said to him. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. Basically, what that means is get it as hot as possible. Some estimates say this, this fire was heated up to around 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit. That's hot. That's, like, that's, that's hotter than a Texas summer, right? I mean, that's like hot. I mean, not much. 
but it's hot, right? It's, that's like, that's hot. It, it kills the dudes who are throwing these guys into the fire. It's as hot as it can get. Verse 20, he ordered some of his mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. These men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. None of them were fire resistant, okay? They, their garments were absolutely uh, flammable, okay? <laughs> totally, completely flammable. They're fully dressed and they're tied up and they were thrown into the, fire, the burning fiery furnace, verse 22, because the king's order was urgent and the, fire, and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So just to paint this picture in your head, imagine like a little bit of a hilltop, basically. And you have this furnace that would be basically structured like a, an old-fashioned kind of milk jug, you know, like kind of narrow on top and then rounds out at the bottom. And so there there's a, the top part where they throw in like the gold and whatever they're going to burn down, right? They throw it in the top and then they'd have two basically access points at the bottom of this thing. So it's built up on a hill and then at the base of it, they have entry or access points where they can throw in the, you know, the fuel, so to speak. So it's wood. So they're pitching in the wood or whatever else they're going to use. So they can see inside of this thing, not just from looking down, but looking directly into it through these windows, so to speak, right? These little doorways. So these guys, as they're on top of the hill, are pitching these guys into this fiery furnace. Well, the flames come out and it consumes these two mighty men. And so because of Nebuchadnezzar's rage, he loses two of his, probably of his best men, because he lost his head, other people lose their lives. Anytime a leader loses his head, it usually results in other people losing their lives. Which is how it goes. So they get, they get tossed into there. These other guys get burned up. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the burning, fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. And he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and their appearance and the appearance of the fourth was like a son of the gods. So here's Nebuchadnezzar, probably sitting back in his little recliner or whatever he's got set up there. He watches them get thrown in, and then his two guys get burnt to a crisp. And then he's looking in as the flames are all around, and he's like, and he hops out of his seat. He's like, hold, hold on. Am I crazy? Or do you guys see a fourth person in there? Because we know five went up, three went in, two went bye-bye. And then somehow there's a fourth guy in the fire. He's like, you guys see that, right? You, I'm, not, I'm not having, you know, heat caused hallucinations or anything, right? Like, you guys see the fourth person. They're like, yeah, no, there's four in there. And they're all just walking around. They're all just hanging out in the midst of the fiery furnace. He's like, and the one looks different than anybody else I've ever seen. He looks like he would be the son of, a, of the gods, that's his way of phrasing like, this fourth person looks different. Now, 
Some people would say that that's possibly an angel in there with them. I happen to believe it's a, it's, it's actually um, Christ, it's Jesus showing up, uh, and he's hanging out in the fire with these three guys. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle teach through the book of Daniel, helping us understand all of the fascinating things in this book. Imagine a king being debased to eating grass like a cow and looking like a complete barbarian. It sounds like something straight out of Lord of the Rings. There were many lessons for King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, and God used Daniel to speak truth to this king of Babylon. Don't you see that no matter what location you're placed in, God can use it for good, for people to turn their hearts towards Him. We hope that your heart is also turned towards God today. Thanks for taking the time to listen to Bread for the Broken. If there's any way that this ministry has impacted you, would you mind sharing that with us? You can get in touch with us through our contact page at breadforthebroken.com. We'd be so happy to meet you in person too. So if you're in the Galveston area, join us this Sunday or Wednesday for worship and Bible study here at Calvary Galveston. You can find directions, service times, and more by visiting our website, breadforthebroken.com. We hope to see you soon. In the meantime, we encourage you to continue reading on your own in the book of Daniel, as you'll discover so many things that God wants to teach you from Daniel's example. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off and keep covering passages in this Old Testament book right here on Bread for the Broken.